Okay, welcome everybody to another episode of Confessions of a Keyboardist. I'm Amy Frederick, and I'm here today with Josh Rosen. Hello, Josh. Hello, Amy. How are you? <laughs> well, you know, we were just talking before I turned to uh, record. I'm doing okay, just kind of working too much and sort of loopy this morning. Yeah. How about you? It's been a pretty busy summer. It sure seems like it's it. It's been I a very you. busy summer. I see you everywhere. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Pretty much. It, well, that way sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere, nowhere, somewhere. <laughs> Did you play last night? I did play last night. I mean, you were telling me, so I already know the answer yeah. to that question. But So you, you got a call to do a gig on Lower uh, Broadway? Yep. Played the stage rooftop with a guy named Ward Strickland. He uh, does kind of largely rock stuff with a little country thrown in. And then snuck over to Soul Vibes to play my one song and snuck out and went back to work, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. So, you, But you didn't have to bring a keyboard all the way over there. No. Um, <laughs> well, I had to bring one to the stage, but uh, not to Soul Vibes, so it wasn't... You know, I used the house keyboard there. Absolutely. Did you... Um, do you have, like, a card and stuff to help you with the load-in no. on Lower Broadway? Actually, what I've discovered on Broadway is with gigs that don't require a ton of synth, I will just bring... I have a uh, Nord Electro 3, and the thing is light as a feather, and between that... Sweet. A single-tier stand, and, you know, a cable and a pedal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fine with me. I can park, walk the thing. And I'm good. You know, otherwise, I've got to, if I bring, you know, my 88 key, that's when I've got to pull up, load in, and then look for parking. Yes. So it's a couple extra steps. For real. Do you, so no amp either? No. Just, I always go direct. And I have my ears with me if it's a place that requires it. But gotcha. other than that, I'll just use a monitor and I'm fine. Gotcha. So you found a way to make it work for you. Yeah. That's good. That's what you got to do. You know, you do things enough, you'll find what works best. Yes. Do you have a favorite place to park? Um, oh, boy. I don't know if I should say this because I'm going to give all my secrets away. Oh, no, don't. Don't give any secrets. Oh, uh, it's, it's okay. I usually park north of downtown. I'll park three, four blocks away. Um, I detest paying for parking at all costs, so I will go to a spot, especially considering that, and if it's during the day, I'll park at a meter because it's cheaper to get a ticket than it is to park in a garage. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'm really giving away too much here, aren't I? <laughs> I love it. And I'm a city boy. I don't mind walking a few blocks, you know? Yeah, well, you stay in shape. I mean, <laughs> obviously, I mean, we sort of have to. I, I specifically do weight training so I can carry keyboards. Yeah. I mean, it's heavy. You know, you need something with wheels. You need, you know, and ultimately there's multiple ones. You know, the nice thing now is with certain technology, especially with soft sense and laptops, you can get just a controller that's light as a feather and just, you know, run it off your laptop. And yes. there are definitely ways if you're willing to put up and, you know, have your backups, make sure things don't crash. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I mean, I mean how do you do that? <laughs> it's a lot of pre production. You know, but if you're put in the pre-production, then everything's right there, especially with programs now like Mainstage, where you can basically put an entire show sounds and just, you know, control it with the keyboard, just like a button or an arrow or something to go from song to song where you have all your patches loaded up or whatnot. But, you know, once again, that also depends the gig and it depends, you know, what kind of music you're playing, too. Gotcha. You know, something with just a piano and an organ, you're fine with 
something like a Nord or something like that, you know? Right, right. I guess I was just wondering, how do you keep from your, your laptop from crashing? Oh. But, but I suppose uh, just keep it in good shape. Exactly, you know. Don't put stuff off. on there that you shouldn't have on there. Exactly, yeah, don't overload it and don't have too much on there and clean it out every now and then, you know? Stuff you don't need. Do you have a laptop that you use for that? I do. Do you use a Mac? MacBook Pro, yep. Okay. And and you do use MainStage, too? I do use MainStage, yeah. Okay. I'm not great at it. I'm getting better, but I'm starting to do more and more with it. Same here. You know, it's... uh, The pre-production can be a little tedious at times, but once you have everything loaded, it's very useful and very efficient. That's where your practice and your preparation comes in. Exactly. It's it's not only just learning the notes. Yeah, and so much of it, too, now, especially with, you know, so many acts that use tracks and things like that, you'll be the tracks guy, which I haven't done too much of, but every now and then, you know, you run across that. Yeah. Or you need a sample or you need whatnot, you know. Right. Um, the dance, the current dance songs. For exactly, if you're doing Top 40, where it's a lot of, you know, loops and that sort of thing. Gotcha. Well, I just kind of jumped right in because you just started saying things that I wanted to know more about. So, okay. <laughs> But we can, you know, go back and, I mean, honestly, I don't, you know, I'm not sure we've ever really sat down and had a conversation about, you know, where you're from and the things you've done. And you, so you want to go back and sure. just cover the bases? Yep. Where are you from? I'm from New York City. <laughs> and how long have you been in Nashville? I've been in Nashville. It's been almost 20 years now. Wow. Yep. Wow. So you like it here? I definitely like it all right. There's some things I love about this city, some things I hate about this city, and a lot in between. <laughs> you know, what I always joke about is this is the city that I've lived in that I've hated the least. <laughs> yeah. That's about the best way I can describe it, you know. Right. Is it the only music business town beside New York City that you've lived in? or Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I was in Boston for six and a half years. I don't know if that qualifies as a music town, but I was, you know, music school there, so... Probably. You know, a lot of musicians certainly pass through there. You know, I don't know how many stay, but some do. Yeah? But, you know... So, from New York City, how far is Boston? Like a train ride, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it's like a four-hour commute with minimal traffic. You know, I don't want to say no traffic because that doesn't exist. Um, I don't know what the exact mileage is between New York and Boston, but, yeah. you know, it has uh, in the Northeast, at least physically, everything's close together. Yeah. But also, everything's mm-hmm. so condensed, and there's so many, you know, vehicles and all that. It's You know, you're always going to have traffic, so things take longer, right. you know. Like, New York to Philadelphia is 90 miles, but, you know, prep for at least a two-plus-hour trip there. Yeah. Wow. So, you go, you grow up in New York City. Good grief. What is that like? <laughs> it just... I don't know how to describe it. It's like it, it's like growing it's, up anywhere. I mean, there's certain things... Sure. It's my normal. Exactly. You know, I grew up on a fourth-story floor apartment and, you know, it's didn't have nice. a backyard or any of that. You know, there was a park, like, half a block down the street, though, that we'd go play in and all that. And, right. You know. You have siblings? I have three, yep. Okay. And did they all play piano, too? Um, my brother plays a lot. My youngest brother. So I, well, I say I've, uh, two of my siblings are half, like same mom, different dad. And my sister and my youngest brother are actually significantly younger than me. But, um, my full brother, he played violin for a bit. I don't can't remember if he took piano or not. He must have, but he didn't stick with it if he did. And my sister, I mean, it's like she must have, but I don't have any real memory of it. Now, my brother plays a lot. 
my youngest brother. Okay. Not professionally, and he's never, I think, done a gig or anything like that, but he plays for fun, and he's actually pretty good. All right. So there's music in the family. Oh, oh. I have a very musical family. Music's almost like a religion in the family. Really? Yeah. Everybody sings? Plays or? instruments, okay. I would say largely. Your mom, too, and your dad, too? Yep. My dad is actually a very... He put, My dad plays the cello. He's what I would uh, describe as a serious amateur, and you know he's never played professionally. I don't think he's ever made money from it, but practices all the time, plays concerts a lot, like house concerts and university concerts and that sort of thing. And my mom has played piano and violin and oboe. I mean, once again, you know, wow. not professionally, but... Gotcha. You know, and my grandmother played violin, and so music is a pretty big deal in my family. Okay. Your idea to take lessons or their idea? Oh, at first it was definitely their idea, and it was, uh, you know, I was classically trained. Matter of fact, when I was growing up, that's all my parents listened to. My dad, to this day, still only listens to classical music and doesn't listen to anything after 1900, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. That excludes Debussy. I guess that does. No, so, Yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> no Stravinsky. No. I don't think he's, he was ever really big. I think Stravinsky was a little esoteric and uh, atonal for him. But um, anyway, um, so yeah, I took you know classical lessons. Who and, was your teacher? Oh, uh, my first teacher was. Remember? Yeah, it was this lady named Chris Austria, who was you know somebody of my mom's generation and kids my age, and she was kind of like good beginner teacher. Gotcha. Anyway, then my mom thought I should be at a more advanced teacher and stuck me with this woman named Bali Gara, who was a um, Austrian Holocaust survivor. Oh, wow. But she was beyond strict. And it got to the point where <laughs> I hated taking lessons with her. Mm. It was like, God, it was like, you know, she was, everything was black and white. It was one of those, you know, ruler. I mean, my mom loved her, of course, but I was, <laughs> and to be fair, looking back, I was, she, I was too young to be taking lessons with her. I should have had somebody a little bit, you know, it was too strict. It was, there was no fun in it. It was one of those things where it was like, you know, tra- like a life or death training for Olympic sport. There was, <laughs> you know, right and wrong and that's it. Oh my gosh. So uh, scales and... Oh, it was just rep- super technique, every note perfectly. Um, okay. It was one of those yeah. things. Gotcha. It was very Viennese, let's put it that way. Okay. Very, you know, very much from that Viennese school where yeah. it's like an Olympic sport almost, you know. Wow. How long were you exposed to that sort of... Uh, um, I mean, for... Tradition. I took lessons with her, God, I was five, six years. I think oh, it was up wow. until, yeah, seven, by seventh grade, I still was taking lessons with her. Okay. Um, so, I couldn't stand it, but, right. you know, it was one of those things where, you know how parents are. They want what they think is best. What was the good that you got out of that situation? I mean, my say. technique, I'm sure, improved and being able to play runs and scales and, you know, reading music and all that. Okay. You know, around the same time, too, I mean, this is just how serious music is. My uh, my folks put me in a uh, program at Manhattan School of Music. Wow. They have the Saturday program for kids and, you know, things yeah. like ear training and theory and things of that ilk, you know. Yeah. Which, you know, to be fair, that was great to learn all that stuff, but it was the type of thing, too. You know, when you're a kid, you don't want to be doing that, you know. Right, right. And especially other kids aren't doing it, too, so you feel... You know, like a weirdo or whatever, you know? And it's real kind of, um, I hate to use the word, 
But just to get to the point, it's very, it's not, it's kind of square. Yeah. It's very. <laughs> it's very. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And I'm not, I love classical music. I do too. And but I it's, a there's a culture music. behind it that is very, you know, stuck up. There's a culture about it that's very, you know. What's the word I'm looking rigid? for? Yeah, very rigid. Very rigid. You know, it's like, it's it's very fundamentalist. Let's put it this way. It was very fundamentalist. And that's what I got out of it. It was almost like a, you know, my fa- I did not grow up in a religious family. So it was like a substitute for religion in a way. You know, it was like, you know, going to lessons was like going to church. And oh instead of praying, you practice, you know, that type of thing. Oh, so it wow. was pr- approached in almost that regard. Like, wow. you know, do this or you're going to hell type of thing. You know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's hilarious. But, oh, yes, it kind of gives me the shudders, too. Yeah. You know? Just, um, it's very existence. I mean, it's almost like Tiger Momish in a way, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so this is going on until, like you said, seventh grade. And I was still, yeah. How did you manage to get out of this situation? Well, a couple things. One, my mom left my dad, and so she wasn't in the house anymore. She was behind a lot of this, so she was on other things. Secondly. Um, a big thing happened is when we finally got cable, which was, I think, sixth or seventh grade, and including that was MTV. <laughs> and like a lot of kids in the 80s, that was, you know, all of a sudden, you get exposure to music videos. And, yeah. you know, I decided, like, hey, I want to listen to rock music. And, you know, mm-hmm. so you get exposed to just all this new stuff, you know. Okay. So, uh but how is that like? What do you? What, what's a piano player going to be doing in a rock band? I mean, how did you? He's going to want to learn how to play guitar. Is what's going to happen. So that was the next thing I wanted, you know. <laughs> okay. And this was still the '80s where you had the era of guitar heroes, and the guitar was considered cool, and you know. Yeah. So. So that, you got a guitar. You talked your mom into letting you play guitar. I. Um, interestingly enough, so my mom, the man my mom married was a big rock fan and actually had sang in a rock band in the seven like I think the sixties and said the early seventies. Wow. So he was behind helping me get a guitar. So I ended up getting a guitar and was self taught and just tried to learn all the latest licks and whatnot, you know. Wow. That's what a wow. Huge turning point. Yep. Big time. Big time, yep. And I guess you're kinda of like maybe feeling I mean, how do you, were you playing like Beethoven and stuff like that? On the guitar? No, on piano. I mean, I was, you know, I was certainly doing Beethoven, Schubert, Chopin, you name it, you know, anything classical, I was doing that. Okay. So you just kind of like quit playing piano altogether? No, I didn't quit at all. I actually kept doing it. And then um, I had a new teacher for eighth and ninth grade, um, and he was better than the other one, but still. Now, the turning point for me with piano was in 10th grade, I started taking jazz lessons, and that really opened up a universe for me that I really, like, fell in love with, you know? Yeah, yeah. Freedom. Freedom, exactly. Improvisation, and just also, you know, harmony, and new melodies, and swing, and just all syncopation, and things like that, you know? Rhythmic freedom, exactly. harmonic freedom. Exactly, you know? Uh, um, expression, self-expression. Yeah, new time signatures, and, yeah. you know, things like that. Okay. Are you, um, do you have a nice piano at your house at this point? At this point, I have a uh, pretty good one. So, and you can play pretty much anything you want, and... Yep. 
That's cool. Um, I do. So at your school, are you in band or choir or anything like that? Well, uh, so what ended up happening is I ended up, um, the public school system was pretty terrible in New York back in uh, the late 80s when I started high school. And um, basically my only option was to go to an arts high school. If I, you know, I would have never survived in my neighborhood school and private school. I just wanted out of that. I was going to private school before and I just, you know, the school I was in, I was done with it. The school was pretty much done too. They ended up actually the year after I left, they ended up getting uh, bought out by another school and which is, so the school I went to doesn't even exist anymore. Wow. So, but I went to the arts high school, which is LaGuardia, which is the fame school. Yeah. And actually really enjoyed I mean, there was definitely classical training there, too, but there was also jazz. There was also going to school with kids from all over the city. It wasn't just my neighborhood anymore, but it was kids from, you know, the other four boroughs, Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, the Bronx. And so that was, you know, that was really cool. That sounds great. Yeah. So you're starting to be around people that are like you. Exactly. A little bit. Yeah. You know, a little bit. It's not the uh, classical go practice. I mean, there was there was a lot of that, too, but there was a lot of, you know, everything. But that can be so isolating. Yeah. Uh, at least you... Knew. And there were also art kids and drama kids gotcha. and vocal, you know. So. Yeah. So, um, you're in school. I mean, like, so did you play in jazz band? I did. I was in the jazz band. I was also... So, at this school, too, like a lot of schools, you have to play an orchestral instrument. Okay. So, I chose trombone. And uh, that was the one. So I, you know, took trombone lessons at school and then and learned how to play it. And then I got to play. I played nice. in orchestra and in band and in uh, jazz band. Mm-hmm. Now, this being a school, we didn't have a football team, so there was no marching band or anything like that. So I didn't get to do any of that. Right. <clears throat> um, so it was a, you know... It was culturally very different than like a normal school or what I thought high school. You know, I'd been so indoctrinated by all these TV shows that I thought that's what high school was going to be like. And my high school was nothing like it, you know. You know, I thought it was going to be like a high school, like 90210 or something like that, you know, <laughs> just to give an example. And right. it was, you know. So, um, but yeah. Was it more like being in a conservatory? Uh, yes or no. Okay. Yes and no. I mean, it was a little like it, but, and there were some kids that were very conservatory-ish, you know, just kind of uptight and all that, but there were others who were, you know, more normal kids, I guess. I don't know how to describe it. Gotcha. Um, did you play piano in jazz band or trombone or both? Uh, I played trombone. Uh, I auditioned for piano, but they, you know, somebody else got it, so. Well, the only reason I ask that, Josh, is because it's so hard to make the transition from classical to jazz. Yeah. It's very hard to make that transition. It's a, different, I, it's a completely different I've world. I've done it myself. Yeah, and it's so, a different world, and it's a different approach, and, and it's and one that's, you know... So, I was, you know, the reason I asked is to try to find out how did you... I still, I still am caught up with the question of how in the world did you start where you started and get to where you are today? Gotcha. Because, oh, yeah. yeah, you are a very free player now. You're, a t- you're an ear player now. Yeah, I mean, I read, still read well, but yeah, I mean, I... I think with anybody, just, you know, being a near player is the best way to go. Yeah. you. It really has to go that way. Absolutely. Um, if you're going to do commercial music. Yeah. 
Um, although there's a lot more resources now than there used to be to help oh, God, you know, transcribe yeah. things and figure things oh, out. Oh, just with technology and all that? I mean, that's a thing. You can cheat so much with so many things. It's you know, But the thing is, at the end of the day, you still got to play the songs, you know? <laughs> right. And you got to play the parts, and that's the thing. And with the proper feel. With the proper feel. And that's The proper dynamics. And, classical music. You know, yeah. even with all the technological help, you still have to put in the work, and, you know, mm-hmm. nobody's going to play the scales for you. Nobody's going to play the arpeggios for you, you know? Right. So. So you go to you. You're in high school, and so I guess um, you decide you want to study music. Did you study music in college? Well, here's the thing. So at the time, I did really didn't want to do it professionally. I mean, I loved music, knew it was my life, but I had this somehow idea of wanting a more normal life. I don't know what it was that, but but you know, I didn't really know really what I wanted to do, but I wanted at the time. It was like, you know, I was in this, like, I want to run from it as opposed to, like, full on embrace it. I was also under the impression, like, the only way to really make a living playing music was, like, to be in a band that was really successful. So, I ended up going to, initially going to Boston University. Okay. For the more normal life to go with, I wanted to go to school with kids from all over the country and that sort of thing. Um, Live on my own. Anyway... What did you study? I was a communications major, actually. Okay. But about halfway through is when I had that epiphany of, I do music better than anything else, and it would be a fool to not give it a go, you know? Right. But since I was halfway through Boston University, I was like, you know, I'm going to finish my communications, I'm going to get my degree, and then figure it out from there. Gotcha. So... Now, it's funny. um, During this whole, you know... When I, in like seventh, eighth grade and all that, when I started getting heavy, like I started, I got really became like a big metal head and got really into the guitar and started getting all these guitar magazines. And it was right around then I, you know, was, you know, reading through that, uh, started hearing about a school called Berkeley College of Music. And a lot of my idols, had, guitar idols had gone there and all that. And I had always had this weird premonition, you know, reading that, that, hey, I'm going to go there too one day, you know. And, you know, I was already up in Boston, and I, you know, was like, you know, so I got my degree. Let's go to Berkeley for acting grad school, and maybe this will help me figure out what I want to do, you know? Okay. Grad school? Well, it wasn't real grad school. I call it acting grad school. It was, you know. You don't mean that you went in theater. You meant... No, I, I didn't. When you no. said acting, I was like... No, 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 not acting as in, like, stage. I'm acting as in, like, you know, the, out, uh, like a substitute grad school. Okay. Almost like a trade school. Gotcha. Let's put it that way. A trade I school. As totally opposed to, get it. You know, yes. which Berkeley kind of functions more as a trade school in some ways than, you know, something like Juilliard or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I totally can see this. Yeah. So this is what happens. So that's what you went there. So I went to Berkeley. Yep. You didn't have to audition back then. You just kind of had to send in some stuff. And Did you send in guitar stuff? I sent in guitar stuff and I was a guitar okay. principal. And now Berkeley is amazing because it's kids from all over the world and all these different instruments and all that. But interestingly enough, so one thing Berkeley did too was sort of turn me off guitar, believe it or not. Okay. A lot of instructors there that kind of had like a, you know, 80s fusion hangover per se, and they kind of taught to that. (laughs) And I felt like every teacher there was training you to be Pat Metheny or John Petrucci, the guitar player from Dream Theater. Okay. And at the time, I didn't want to be either, you know? (laughs) 
Now, coincidentally enough, I'm a huge Pat Metheny fan now, but, um, you know, at the time, that's not the direction I was going in. Okay. You wanted to be more... I was looking... At the time, actually, it was like pop, funk, okay. that sort of thing, you know? Um, right. Uh, I mean, here's an example. I had a teacher... I think it was my second year there. It was like, okay, so what do you want to work on? And I was like, well, I'd love to get like my right hand funk chops going on, you know. And he's like, oh, that's great. We, that would be great. You know, I've got some stuff that you could, should really check out that'll really help. He's like, I got this Michael Brecker record, and you know, I was like, what about like Earth, Wind, and Fire or Sly or you know something like that? And then he's like, oh, and you know, check this out. I'm gonna play this for you. There's Herbie Hancock doing a Prince cover, and I was like, well, what about? Prince doing a Prince song, you know, <laughs> it's like where his mind was, and we, I, we found we must have found some compromise somewhere. But it was one of those things too, where I kind of realized, and then also I realized that you know people were using me more in piano, and what ended up happening there is it kind of got a self identification as a piano player. Okay, and it sort of you know played the guitar less, played the piano more, and that sort of thing, you know. <laughs> and this is for bands. That you're playing in? This is just, yeah, people's projects and that sort of thing, okay. you know, little house, you know, cafeteria, they did all these cafeteria concerts and okay. so things of that ilk. student ensembles. Yeah, student ensembles or student recording sessions and that sort of thing, you know. So. What styles? Everything. Are you freaking out trying to learn this stuff or are you? I, I'm both freak, but ha- freaking out and having fun at the same time, okay. you know, and it's <laughs> like, you know, and the cool thing too is, you know, also I'd accompany a lot for voice classes and I'd love doing the pop stuff because they, you know, there'd be contemporary things and old things and, you know, it was an interesting mix. And Gotcha. And would they give you charts for this kind of thing? Charts are, you know, or back then they'd give me a cassette, you know, you didn't have, uh, this was even, I think, before Napster and all that, so it would oh, yeah. be mm-hmm. a cassette or a burn CD of the songs I had to learn, you know. Right. So um, so you're learning this stuff by ear and you're trying to imitate it as best yeah, you can? pretty much, and trying to get the parts and that sort of thing, you know. And the jazz lessons in high school really probably helped with voicing. Oh, absolutely. And it also, you know, jazz also seemed a lot hipper. There was a connection in jazz to the world I listened to now you know it's like you know it was the type of thing where it's like okay Miles Davis played with Toto you know that type of thing or had you know recorded with him that type of thing or um, I'll tell you there's one record that really changed my life in high school um, jazz record well not jazz record but like a fusion record was um, Tony Williams who the, let me backtrack a bit. The first jazz record that really changed my life was um, Miles Davis, Nefertiti, um, which was his second great quintet. Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, Ron Carter, Wayne Shorter, and Tony Williams, which still to this day is my favorite jazz band of all time. Right. But Tony Williams in the 70s had a project called uh, Tony Williams Lifetime, which was sort of a jazz rock thing. And the first incarnation had um, uh, John McLaughlin and I believe Jack Bruce. And I want to say there was an organ player. I can't remember who. But it was the second incarnation, which had Alan Holdsworth and Alan Pasqua. And that was the first time I really heard jazz rock. It's the first time I was able to really identify a Fender Rhodes. And I'm... May have fell in love with that instrument. I'm still in love with that instrument to this day. You know. Yes. One of the most beautiful sounding instruments ever. You know. Somebody just told me there's a '73 key Fender on sale at a store north of Nashville. Yeah. 
You know, the funny thing is you can get one inexpensively, but it's the repair, the travel and the repair is where you're going to pay your money. Yeah. It's the same thing with a piano. It's like, you know, the purchase sometimes can be cheap, but moving, you'll pay a lot more to move it than to just purchase it outright. So they're really heavy? I've never tried to pick one up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have one? I don't. Yeah. I would love to have one. I don't really have the room for it right now, I but hear one you. day. Yeah. One day. One okay. Day. Okay. So, uh, sorry to uh, get off to the subject, but you know, you you do make me think. I mean, I'd, I'd love to have one of everything. Yeah. Sometime. Of course, yeah. we all would. <laughs> it's a matter of having the space to put one of everything. You know. Right. Right. But you know, I'd love to have sweet water in my house. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So okay, so you're hearing these um, new sounds, you know, like the the Fender Rhodes and um, the jazz. These. These recordings are really influencing you. Oh, what absolutely. about pop? In, I mean, here's the thing: it's like with pop stuff. So, as a kid, I heard stuff. At times, would not admit to liking it. You know, it's like <laughs> I, when I was in third, fourth grade, I'd go saying, "Oh, I hate Michael Jackson," just because <laughs> he was so huge and larger than life, and everybody loved him. And I'm like, you know. You feel like you have to love them, so you say you don't like them, that type of thing, you know? <laughs> but there was stuff, and then, you know, when I became a big metalhead, a lot of metalheads are like, I don't listen to anything but metal. But, you know, I was secretly listening and liking a lot of pop stuff from the late 80s, you know? Okay. And, you know, I realize now, like, God, these are such well-written songs and great arrangements and stuff. And honestly, that continued through the 90s, too. There was some great pop music going on. But what finally happened is, and this was a big thing with me, too, after between starting, or no, between finishing Boston University and starting Berkeley, I backpacked around Europe for a month and a half. Okay. And one thing I saw is I, the pop is enormous over there, in many ways bigger than here. And I remember just absorb listening to the radio a lot over there and absorbing a lot of stuff and hearing some of this European stuff. Interestingly enough, too, there was this band that was huge over in Europe that I had never heard of because they hadn't broken the states yet called the Backstreet Boys. Wow. Yeah, and they were played everywhere. And, you know, I heard their songs and, you know, I left. I was like, well, it's probably the last I'll ever hear of that, you know. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> There was this great, you know, as you know, pop was big in the late 90s, especially, you know, with all the boy bands and all that sort of thing. And But, you know, it was just very well-crafted songs and great arrangements. And a lot of that stuff was by Max Martin, who, as you know, is still, like, even bigger today, you know. Yeah. It's an incredible career, but, you know, one of the greatest melody writers of our time, I feel. But it also got me studying some of the past, like, you know, especially songwriters, people like, you know, Diane Warren and Desmond Child. And, mm -hmm. you know, there were these great songwriters in the 80s, Holly Knight, Billy Steinberg, Tom Kelly, you know, there were a lot of those that had these great pop songs and, you know, David Foster Productions and, you know, Walter Afanasia from the 90s. You know, there were a lot of these producers that, you know, Right. And it was, it was for me, it was like the arrangements of their stuff. It's like, all right, the synth part here and the little loop here and this, you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I've always, you know, I'm a big fan of harmony. I'm a big fan of like, you know, moving bass lines, things like that, you know. Yes. Favorite keyboardists? I have my, what I call my Mount Rushmore of keyboard players. <laughs> <clears throat> I'll give, I mean, I love a lot more, but I always start with these four. Okay. Herbie Hancock. Yeah. Roy Bitten from the E Street Band. Okay. Tony Banks from Genesis. 
and then Lyle Mays from the Pat Metheny Group. Okay. All right. I saw Herbie Hancock last week at the Ryman. I heard it was a wonderful show. It was. I was out of town, unfortunately, and couldn't go. I'm uh, sure you've seen him, though. I saw him, actually, at the Ryman four, five, six, some uh, some years back. I saw him at the Ryman. Right. But with, you know, Vinnie Caliuta, he had Pino Palladino, and Greg Philgaines, and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it was, he's still in just great form. Yeah. And I, I think he's in his 80s. Close to it if he's not 79, something like yeah. that. Yeah. But amazing, you know, music definitely can keep you young. Yeah. Oh, isn't that the truth? Yeah. So, okay. Well, I know we're skipping around a lot. Okay, so go That's back fine. to Berkeley. Um, and how long were you there? I was there for two and a half years. Okay, so you got what you needed. Pretty much. Um, what do you do after that? Well, another turning point, too, as turning points always are. So, my first year at Berkeley, one thing they offered for spring break was a trip down to Nashville. Okay. And, you know, I'm the type of person that wants to go to every city and every place. So, I go on this trip as an opportunity to see a new city and a new state and a new part of the country, you know? Yeah. And they really roll out the red carpet for the students there. I mean, they take you to studios and publishing houses and, you know, management offices. And you meet producers, songwriters, artists, lawyers, basically everybody in any facet of the industry. I mean, wow. and it's very ooh and ah, and it's very connected, you know. You <laughs> okay. witness a recording session. You have panels with songwriters that play huge songs, you know, that type of thing. And there are a lot of alums down here, too. So, you know, first year I was like, okay, cool. You know, it's funny because I went back to Europe. You know, I'd had such a good time. I went and did it again. And at the time, the second time around, you know, you do something the second time around. And so most of the time it's not as good. I mean, I still had fun, but right. I didn't feel it as much as I did the first time, you know. Yeah. Even though the music was still heavily influencing me. Anyway, I was still, I remember in the summer of 99, I was decided to stay in Boston for the summer. And was in a little bit of a rut. Like, what do I want to do? And I was thinking about staying in Boston, which is a city I really didn't like, or moving back to New York, which I really didn't want to do either. And it was, you know, then living with my parents and all that. Sure. But I had gone on a, another spring break trip to Nashville and had an even better time. Right. And I started thinking about what about moving to Nashville? It's like. There are a lot of alums down there that can provide a little bit of a softer landing. I was really into kind of songwriting and the idea of producing at the time, and Nashville was a songwriting town, and you know, I hadn't really seen L.A. in my adult life yet, and you know, I'd thought about there was a part of me that really wanted to move to Europe, but I was kind of too scared to do it at the time, you know? Yeah. There's a part of me that kind of wishes I'd done it now, but you know, at the time I was sort of, but Nashville seemed like an option, and it was like, all right, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spend one more semester at Berkeley and really think about Nashville, you know. And I uh, also a guy I'd been working with a lot at the time at Berkeley had just moved to Nashville. Okay. So I was like, it was an opportunity to keep working with him, you know. Right. And I took a trip down, stayed with him. We went to a couple, like, I think an NSAI thing or something like that. But, you know, I was like... Now, it was a little different for me, too. You know, Nashville was a much smaller town than I was used to. I realized I was going to have to get a car because stuff is too far away to walk, you know. <laughs> Did you not drive? 
Oh, I drove. I just didn't have okay. a car. Okay. I certainly drove. You no, know? well, I mean, I, I, you know, some people don't. Oh, don't. A lot don't now. God, kids are waiting longer and longer to get their license. My sister's 30 and still doesn't have a driver's license, you know. If you have a train. Yeah. I mean, I would be so tempted not to drive. Yeah. <laughs> these days. Exactly. <laughs> but Nashville, I mean, there's none of the course. At least back then, there was none of the course, you know. Right, right. So it's a, it's a major shift in oh, your lifestyle. Very big. It was, you know, still probably to this day the gutsiest thing I've ever done, you know, was to pack up and move to a city where I really didn't know people. I mean, I knew a couple, little bit, you know. Yeah. So, but by Thanksgiving of that year, I decided, all right, I'm going to do it, you know. And, you know, actually, there were a lot of my family that kind of encouraged me to do it, too. You know, it's a process of growing up. and That's cool. You know, Very cool. plus it gave me more of a focus to, to do music, gave me a reason, you know. It's sure. like you're moving to a city where music is sort of everything, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. So what what uh, month of the year did you move? I moved February of 2000. It was exactly two <laughs> weeks after my landmark of this. It's two weeks after the Titans were in the Super Bowl. Oh, wow. Okay. you know, I remember my dad was actually, funny enough, my dad's in the health insurance industry. And he used to travel to Nashville all the time because it's a big insurance town. He actually worked for a company in the 80s that had offices here. So wow. he was going to Nashville every week. Uh, he was actually on the very first flight into the airport, which opened, I think, in 88 or something like that. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So you do have sort of a connection there. Um, in that regard, yeah. Because yeah. my dad had traveled here a lot. You know? Right. It was just one of those random things. To move here in February, it's very uh, gray. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, but spring is just like right around the corner. I yep. mean, it's And, and the um, the climate, I guess, the shift was probably a major big deal to you. I mean, yeah, it wasn't too too much, I don't think. You know, it, it, didn't, it didn't really affect me that much. At least back then, it didn't. Well, so, but definitely the pace, I would think, would be just a little. Well, yeah. I mean, it was culturally a very different place, too. You know, you were around. Southerners for the first time, <laughs> right. and, you know, you're around some of the some of the stuff that you know. Thing is, Nashville's always been the type of town where people move from all over. Though back then, it seemed like most of the people there were from like you know either the South or the Midwest. You just Northeasterners just did not move to Nashville back then. You know, I'd really? even tell people I was going there, and they're like, "You're going where?" You know, they wearing <laughs> they wear shoes down. You know, all those old stereotypes. You know. <laughs> So you land here, yep. and um, what do you do? I mean, like, how did? Well, you, uh, did at you the do? time, I was interested in songwriting, so I do go to NSAI things and look for songwriter groups and go to like rounds and do open the mic nights and that sort of thing. And uh, singing I, and playing piano for yourself, or yeah, okay. pretty much. Yeah, I didn't have anybody else to sing stuff, so I'd sing it. Um, and so I'd go do that sort of stuff. You know, at the time, too, it's interesting because I did not know country music at all. And, you know, I kind of absorbed a little of what was going around there, but I didn't really, like, pursue country. Like, you know, at the time, I had no interest in playing Broadway or anything like that. You okay. know, I had no... I'd look for different things here and there. Um, one, I kind of got semi-involved not involved that's the wrong word but you know I'd go 12th and Porter used to have 12 at 12 I used to go hang out there I'd find places that were hangs and go hang out to meet plus Berkeley at the time had a very strong alumni association down there and there were always come these Berkeley-ish events that I'd go to and okay. you know meet with people and that sort of thing and you know through going to songwriting events I'd meet people and you know gotcha we'd 
co-write or whatever. Plus, I had my, uh, interestingly enough, a funny sidetrack. So, my uh, friend I said I was working with a lot, you know, he moved down with his girlfriend. The day I arrived, him and his girlfriend broke up. So, he was going back to, I think it was Baltimore, where he was from, to deal with pain. But he was like, hey, you can stay here with my ex-girlfriend. Oh. And it was just, you know, it was a little awkward. She was actually really nice. She like was working at TGI Fridays at the time, and like you know, had bought me a meal and that sort of thing. <laughs> it was just a very weird thing. They kind of so what ended up happening though was so it was like hey you know so I ended up staying at his place for maybe a month or something like that, and then it was like hey let's just get a place together you know. So we got a place in the same apartment complex and, you know, it was a three bedroom. So we each had a room and then had a music room. Gotcha. You know, where we could work on stuff and whatnot. So it all worked out. The housing situation worked out. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. So how, but this is like, so are you thinking to yourself, I'm going to be a piano player in Nashville? Not at that time. I was thinking more songwriting, and you know, the first year I was sort of just absorbing everything. All right. But I also couple things. Uh, So one of the things I did for work is I would, since I was accompanying a lot at Berkeley, I actually went over to Belmont Music School and back then you could just put up an ad and they'd call you and so I'd accompany a bunch of boy students. Gotcha, yeah. Plus around that time too, I joined up with an 80s cover band, believe it or not. Okay. Um, And so I was with a touring band and you know we do really the southeast we were in Tuscaloosa all the time I felt like at University of Alabama did the frat parties and that's where I went to school oh was it really that's my undergrad school oh no way okay <laughs> yeah okay yeah Roll tide, huh? sort of accidental I mean I you know that, that's another story for yeah. another time but yeah um, so what's the name of this band it's, it was called Kung Pao <laughs> oh I love it yeah um, the uh <laughs> leader of the band had been in a band called The Breakfast Club, which I think still exists, but, you know, the 80s thing was starting to grow with, like, the nostalgia, you know, it was 10 years, and mm-hmm. it was, it, it was, get, you know, because all through the 90s, the 80s were just basically crapped on. It was considered the worst decade, and the <laughs> 90s were the big, you know, but then sort of towards the end of it, it's like, okay, let's bring the 80s back, you know, the outfits, and, you know, that's when I learned also certain songs becoming standards, too, like, you you know, at first it was like, all right, why is he picking Jesse's girl and your love? And now, 20 years later, those are still standards. I didn't realize how popular they were, and you know, because they didn't seem like the, same here. They didn't seem like the definitive songs, but there were a few songs that have somehow become the definitive songs for bands to play. You know, <laughs> right? Summer of '69, which was a hit, but you know, it's yeah. become like a standard. You know, exactly. And then there are other songs that seem like they were huge hits that. Like, for some reason, we didn't play Madonna at all, you know? And it's like, and I realize nobody right. plays Madonna. Right. You know? Um, Our songs didn't become standards, or, you know, we didn't play any Bruce Springsteen, you know? Hmm. None of his songs have become standards, you know, and for bands to play, that type of thing, you know? What kind of gear were you using on these gigs? Can you remember? I had an Alesis. Oh, God, what was the <laughs> board? It was like an Alesis 88 key keyboard I was using at the okay. time. Right. Plus, I had a Korg. I think it was an M1 or an M3 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I, so I was using that. I had an M1. Yeah. I had an O1W, too. Yeah. 
So I use those a lot, and yeah, I think that's what I was using back then. Okay, all right. And you guys are just like going out for the weekend? Like, yeah, it was all just like in a weekend in a van and trailer, oh, wow. you know, Saturday runs or, yeah. Did you like it? Um, I liked it at first, and it got a little stale after a while, you know, it's like, it, it was like, okay, let's go on to other things, you know. <laughs> sure. But you're making some money playing music. Yeah, you're making some money playing music. And, you know, it wasn't a lot of money. And I probably realized at the time it probably should have been a lot more money than it was. But, you know, at the time I didn't know any better. Right. So. So, okay. Classical music at Belmont. But also commercial voice. And oh, yeah. Everything, you know. And that's the other thing, too. He's like, you learn what standards are, too. Because I learned, like, especially a lot of the girls were singing a lot of the same songs. Like, back then, songs like, you know... It was songs like Bye Bye and uh, Heads Carolina by Jody Messina or songs like uh, Something to Talk About, which is still a big one. Mm-hmm, you right. You know, back then, they still played girls. They played a lot of girls on the radio back then, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? You know, back then, you had Shania Twain and the Dixie Chicks and Faith Hill and Jody Messina. And you yes. just had a lot of these. Trisha big, Yearwood. Trisha Yearwood was big still. Shania. Shania, yep. We mentioned her. But yeah, you had these big female stars and it's like you are like what happened it's like right. why are there you know are there ever going to be them again Martina McBride Martina McBride I should have mentioned her yep of course she was huge so you learn all these tunes basically yeah by playing accompanying accompanying learning and then you know occasionally though I would get hired for a gig at a bar somewhere or I'd get a gig you know I would play Broadway every now and then and I'd have to learn songs you know okay or there'd be people I'd meet in the songwriting organizations that were singers and you know right okay so were you doing a lot of original material too um occasionally I would do like a backing band another thing too is I was playing for this rock artist there was this Japanese singer songwriter named Masa um who he was one of these guys that somehow managed to be everywhere at all times. It's like I'd go anywhere he was there. It was just, well, he was one of those guys, you know. Yeah. He was just everywhere. Mm-hmm. And eventually asked me to play in his band. And so, you know, he got a band together and we do, it was all shows around town largely. Though we did occasionally, there was one year we did a bunch of out of town shows too, like regional stuff. We played Lexington and Cincinnati and Atlanta and Birmingham and places like that, you know. Okay. Were you into traveling, going on the road? I love traveling. I've always loved traveling. So, yeah, especially in the other thing, Tool, is I hadn't seen a lot of the South. So I was, you know, going places for the first time. I hadn't been to Alabama. I hadn't been to Mississippi. I hadn't been to Louisiana. So it was like I was going all these places for the first time. And that's, Mm -hmm. anytime you go somewhere new is exciting, you know? Yes. It's just, it's, you know, there's something about traveling. There's something about getting out of town and being in a new environment that I've always loved, you know? Yes. I still love it to this day. You know. Okay. So, well, what what makes so it, it sounds to me like what you're saying is the shift to becoming like to me you're a, you're a, key, a professional keyboardist at this point. Yeah, that is what I know you as. Yeah. So how do you make this? It sounds like it was a really gradual shift in that direction. It was, and it was one of those things where it, you know what it realizes is I do this better than anything else. That's what it came down to. It's like, this is my strongest skill, and this is what I can offer the world the best, where I can really do it well, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's what it came down to more than anything. It was, you know, not just the self-identification, but it was the fact that, like, hey, I, you know, I, do, I play piano better than I do anything else, you know? It's like, music to me, I understand more than the English language, you know? Yes. So, I think that's, you know, truly what it comes down to. Right. So. So... 
what what happens after the I mean like so how did you I, to me you're working all the time I see you everywhere yeah. <laughs> like you're just doing a lot of different stuff all, you I know you put together like shows of your own yep um, you, tell me more about that I mean how did that come about and uh, how do you choose the artists and the themes that you choose and you know it's funny because a lot of it is that came about because so you know when you do a lot of these like Broadway type gigs or wedding gigs or whatever, you truly play a very limited amount of songs. I mean, you play the same songs come or a song will become popular and you play it. You know, you're gonna run if you're playing a wedding, you're gonna play Uptown Funk. That's just how it is, you know. Yeah, you're gonna probably play, you know, and some of these songs are great, but you just play the same songs. It's like, you know, look at, you know, Don't Stop Believing. Yeah. You're going to play that song. If you're playing on Broadway, you know, you're probably going to play Folsom Prison Blues or Friends in Low Places or Wagon Wheel. <laughs> you know, I've, been, I've managed to stay away from that one recently, thankfully. But, you know, so but there are all these songs I've always wanted to play, but it's like they don't show up in set lists, you know. Okay. So basically how the tribute thing kind of started with me, I'd always wanted to do this stuff. Anyway, you know, three years ago was that year we lost like all these great artists, right? Anyway, the one that one of the ones that hit me the hardest was uh, George Michael. Yeah. Just because he was really from kind of my generation, like 1988. I to me, I always consider like music's greatest year. <laughs> you know. I'm trying to think what year. Okay, 88. Yeah. Oh, like um. You know, there was a lot of stuff that, say, came out in 87, but that's, you know, when, like, God, you know, Guns N' Roses and Death Leopard and Poison. And, okay. But then, you know, also just a lot of pop stuff, like, you know, then George and George Michael was one of the biggest artists that year. That okay. was, you know, Faith came out in 87, but he dominated okay. 88 and was a larger than life. He was at the level of Michael Jackson, Madonna, Whitney Houston, and some of the biggest superstars of that era that gotcha. year, you know? Yeah. So, and that was also, I had that cassette, and it was one of those, I secretly liked this, you know? Anyway, so, you know, he went, and there were some musicians that, like, I've been playing with that I just love playing with and really wanted on this thing, too. Yeah. So, I had a friend I'd worked with years ago who was now a co-owner of The Basement in The Basement East. So, I contacted him. He gave me the name of the buyer. And so I contacted the buyer about putting a show together, and um, he gave me the, um, you know, he kind of set some terms in a way. Like, I'd initially thought, like, a small show, 13 songs, you know, maybe a few Wham songs, and solo stuff and whatnot. And he was like, he gave me a three-hour block, but he was like, I'd like you to get as many singers as possible, because they can all draw from different places, you know? So I was like, oh. Shoot, okay. <laughs> and suddenly became a lot larger. Yeah, and then it got, you know, so it was like, okay, so, you know, I had, I got two people on there that I really wanted, and, you know, my the bass player was like suggesting a drummer. He's like, you should call this guy, and I thought, like, oh, no way he'll do it. Anyway, he agreed to it, and then same thing with another keyboard Sweet. player, and then he agreed to it, and I was like, oh, shoot, you know. So it was about recruiting singers and doing all that, and we did rehearsal and all that. Anyway, the show drew really well, which really kind of surprised me. And I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, and it just and it sounded great. You know. And what was the, this? Is the first one that you did? First one I did it was okay. George Michael. Yep. George Michael. Okay. Yep. First one I did, and it was like right. two months after his death. 
Oh, man. So I think the fact that his death was recent and yeah. so there was people coming out to hear it, you know, and that happens all the time in Nashville. It's like an artist dies, somebody will do a tribute to him, you know, sure. and I just happen to be the lucky one with this, you know, to get to do it. <laughs> well, you've loved, you know, love so that, you know, that got me on that path, like, hey, I can do this, you okay. know, so let's pick more artists and more themes. And, okay. you know, what it also did was gave me a vehicle if there was somebody I really admired in town. To call them up and see if they do the show. Yeah. Know? Oh, it's like my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like. If you admire somebody, it's like okay. You know, it's it's hard to just call cold some call to cold call somebody and say like, hey, you know. Right. Right. So. But if you have an avenue that can help them, exactly. You know, and they help you too. You know, it's a to me that's the most satisfying aspect. Oh, it's um, a win-win thing, and you absolutely. know, you get people, and I mean, there's some, you know friendships that have been cultivated uh, there's one of the singers like credited you know this doing one of my shows with leading her to meet her boyfriend <laughs> um, you know another one has you know gotten you know people have gotten gigs out of it so it's like you know I'm yeah. more almost happy seeing the people participating succeed more than you know whatever I get out of it you know absolutely so now do you play keyboards on every single song that you do for those tribute shows basically I mean anything that has keyboards usually yes Wow, so it's not only... But if there are songs that don't have keyboards on them, I won't come up with a part. I just won't play. Absolutely. You know? But what I'm saying here is you're organizing the show, and then you got to play the show. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge undertaking. It's yeah. a big deal. It's really a big deal. I'm just trying to point that out to whoever is listening that yeah. might not realize that we're talking about how many songs per show. It just depends the show. Um, like, this. um if it's a three-hour show, it can be as many as 25 to 26. I'll put an intermission in always. But if it's, you know, just an hour and a half, then we'll do 15 to 16 to 18, whatever. So it just depends the time frame I have. Okay. So do you have another one of those coming up? I actually have one coming up this Wednesday. I'm doing Sade. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is not going to air until a little bit after that show. Okay. But sorry about that. But that's um, okay. So how many songs on that show? That one's just gonna be fifteen because some of the songs are a little longer. I only have an hour and a half, and you know some of them will be nice to stretch out a little bit. You know, maybe get somebody take a solo or something. So, and she's one of those people that didn't have as many like hits per se. Mm-hmm. You know, she has a lot of known songs, but she's you know, and people that like her love her though. That's the thing. She's right. one of those artists that you know will be. And she's one of those like sneaky artists who you don't think about, but then when you mention her, love shot, you know. Yes. You yes. know what I mean? There are a lot of people like that where you just don't think about them as the first thing that comes to mind, but then when you mention them, it's like I love them, you know. Well, smooth operator is playing in my head right now. As oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just popped into my head, bam, when you said. Of course, that. yeah. <laughs> you know, no need to ask. <laughs> He's a smooth coast, coast, coast to coast, New York to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and I know there's more too, but I remember that song specifically. Yeah, well, that was her biggest hit, probably. You know. And you know, that was a great song to learn on keyboard yeah. because it was a it's like it's a cross between jazz and sort of pop. Yeah, well, it's got a very Brazilian bossa feel to it, and it's you know the thing is it's just a couple chord, you know it's four chords I think. Yes. And you know it's just you know it's light smooth mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the thing it's just relaxing you know the thing with some music like hers too you know you need a venue with seats because it's you know it's a little funky but it's also mellow you know so where is your venue this, this is going to be the basement which oh, is where I, yeah I tried it I like the basement a lot so that's a good venue for something like this gotcha okay 
So, do you have one in the plan planning stages? After that, I'm not sure what I'm doing next. Okay. So, you right. know, I'm kind of working on a and the next venture I'm having actually is um, I'm still it's more about you now getting the venue. And I'm in talks with the venue right now, but I'm going to be putting together a uh, full band writers night. Oh, nice! Um, I did something like that uh, five years ago, something like that. I was in the house band of a full band, and to this day, it's one of the most fun gigs I've ever been on. And I've like always wanted to do something like that again. So I'm like, oh, I'll just put it together myself, you know. Now I am. Thankfully, I'm partnering with somebody this time around, which um, she's going to recruit the writers and help with my weak spots, which are advertising, promotion, that sort of thing, you know, posters and, you know. So this will mean that people can come in and have you play their songs or? Yeah, we'll get some writers and we'll, you know, I'll put a house band together and we'll learn their songs. Okay. And, uh, okay. You know, we'll do the, you know, it'll be like four songs a piece, something like that. But, you know, for some writers, nice. just don't, don't get to play with the band much. Right. Know. What a great opportunity. Yeah. Um, and once a month or something like that? It'll, it'll probably start once a month, but it might be like bi-weekly, you know, twice a month, bi-monthly. Yeah. Okay, very cool. Um, so, what are the what are your favorite gigs to play right now? Right now, can you say? I mean, let's, what? Well, let's, let me before I ask you that. What types of gigs are you playing right now? What does it range from? Like, it ranges from playing Broadway to playing. I play with a. I subbed in with a couple tribute bands here and there. I play with a Tom Petty tribute band, a Heart tribute band. You know, they're the occasional tribute shows. I'll do, you know, artist showcase type stuff. Um, there's a... So when you say Broadway, that's the name of the street in Nashville. Just yes. for anybody who's wondering yeah, about that. Yeah, so when you say Broadway and, here, we're not talking about show tunes. Right. It's, you know. and, and so that's going to be like your uh, country song list and rock. Yeah. And some pop. Yeah. it's. I mean, that's the thing. Broadway's changed so much in the last six, seven years that, you know... I mean, I, you probably hear more rock than country these days. And it's like most of the bands down there are like glorified wedding bands. Okay. That's what I feel like, it's you know. It's very touristy. Oh, it's yeah. the complete property of tourists. <laughs> okay. I will say it's definitely become the complete property of tourists. I mean, yeah. the right shifts, it can be great money. But, you know, the thing is, it's three and a half hours without a break. Yeah. Straight. Right. It's, it's, is that unbelievable? It's a little, it can be a little abusive at times. Why is it like that? Who, I think. Who said, who made this rule up? I don't know how, when, I, you know, I, have, I need to do some research into how that came about, but it's just, I think it's to keep people in the bars. There's this feeling that if the band stops, that people will leave. Okay. I and think that's sort of, it, and it sort of became the standard. What if a band member just really has to? I mean, that, that you know, the singer will do, a lot of artists, actually, the singer will do one or two songs by themselves okay. to give the band a break. <laughs> right. Or, and then often somebody else in the band will sing something if the singer needs a break and they'll go and, yeah. you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But still, we're talking three and a half hours. So Absolutely. With no break. And uh, the set list is very, well, you're like repetitive, like you said. Yeah, it's like, it's a somewhat limited. I mean, occasionally you'll run across some stuff where it's like, oh, cool, I haven't done that. Oh, cool, I haven't done that. But a lot of it is what you expect, you know. And the reason it's like that, too, is a lot of times you'll have players who've never played together before coming in. And so you have to pick songs that everybody knows, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's hard to pick something obscure 
you know, you'll, it'll be a jackpot if all, yeah, everybody knows it, but more than likely there'll be yeah. somebody important who doesn't know that part, so you can't play it. Gotcha. You right. Because they can't do the bass part or they can't do the guitar lick or whatever. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Something that um, identifies the song. Exactly. And then, okay, so you said you're doing that and you're doing, um, okay, you said artist, you said tribute shows, and I will get back to that. I've got, you know, I want to talk to you about oh, yeah. the Tom Petty one. Um, then you said artist showcases. What's that? What does that entail? What's that about? That's usually where an artist will put a band together, you know, do a few original songs and a couple covers, and then they'll they'll either film it or they'll invite you know industry people out to see it with the hopes okay. of getting a deal or the hopes of getting a publishing deal or a management or something, you know, or it's like. Or they're showcasing for, or they may even already have a management team and they need to showcase to prove that they're worth taking on or going further, you know? Right. Are those common these days? They're still very common, yeah. Still, that still happens, okay. That's, that very much happens, yeah. I remember, you know, back in the day that they they did, ha- like, they would happen at, like, the Sutler or yeah. there certain locations in town. The um, new one now, yeah. I mean, the back corner is big. It still happens at Douglas Corner, but you got the back corner now. You've got the local, you know, Third and Lindsley still have it. And, you know, an artist showcase will be like a 6.30 early show, that type gotcha. of thing. You know? Okay. You know, what used to have, too, was, um, you know, it'd be a place, say, close to Music Row. People would get off work and go to wherever, which I don't even know right. what venue that would be these days. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's changing. It's the row is changing so, so much. much, yeah. I mean, you know, let's put it this way. When I moved to town, Demumbering Street was all like wax museums. The Country Music Hall of Fame was still there, you know, like yeah. right there. Yeah. Music Row. Right. And now it's, you know, obviously all the bar bars and condos and stuff, you right. know. A few restaurants. And a few restaurants, and indeed. a lot of high-rises. Yes. <laughs> um, More of those. Okay, so what else? You're do- any, any other types of gigs that you're doing currently? Um, just, you know, stuff here and there. I occasionally play with a group called the Chris Weaver Band, which I really enjoy. It's some phenomenal musicians, and they do some, you know, the cool thing with them is they do kind of like different arrangements of standard songs to the point where it almost feels like an original. Oh, that's nice. They'll put in a part here and there, or the bass player loves slapping, and so it's like, you know, nice. plays it funky. So that's a fun gig. I do that every now and then. I was doing it a lot, and he got into this point where he wanted some different keyboard players, I guess, and so it kind of rotates in and out, but I'm still in the mix here and there. Right. So. Okay. Um, do that. Do you do weddings? I do do weddings, yeah. By yourself or with bands? Both. So can will you book musicians? If they ask you to? If they ask me to. Usually it's I will sub in within a pre-existing wedding band or I was playing, I haven't really done it this year, but there's a group called Emerald Empire, which sort of like you'll have a band leader and then they'll like randomly put bands together to go do it and a lot of both in and out of town. But I'll sub with wedding bands too. I've like never really been a member of a wedding band, but I'll sub with them. Gotcha. I used to play a lot with this band. The band kind of dissolved that did a lot of corporate and wedding stuff. So I've sort of done that for years. Okay. And, you know, as I said, once again, you kind of run into the same music, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was just going to say, do you do you have tons and tons of charts in your... I do most of the stuff by ear. That's the thing. I really, I actually hate charts for the most part. I find charts very distracting. If they're in front of me, then it's like I want to... Though I do find charting like a useful tool sometimes for learning a song. Right. Like you really get the form of it, but, you know, I just don't want it in front of me on a gig because it's distracting, you know what I mean? Okay. You look at the chart instead of the crowd. 
Right, so right. you can get the point is to know well enough. And also, a lot of times, too, with a lot of songs, too, it's, you know, not the charts per se, but it's parts you need to really know, you know? Right, right. So, as you're playing, you're, you're really focused on your bandmates and on yourself. Yes. Yeah. You're in the... Or the song, you know? In the midst of the song. Yeah. Got the it. thing is, you get to a point where it's like you just do it intuitively, too, you know? So, it's like, you know... Gotcha. And every now and then, you find you can find your mind wandering, but it's like you got to bring back, like, oh, this is... But, you know, you have that part of you that knows what's coming, you know? And so, you're right. able to execute it. Right, right, right. So you're never, like, lost, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, like, an inner ear that's always listening. Right. So let's let's go over to the uh, Tom Petty tribute band okay. topic, if you don't mind. Sure. Because, I mean, the, I remember you posting something about, <coughs> you know, pl- learning the Benmont Tinch parts. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking to you about that a couple months ago, I think. And um, just I'm telling you, I think he's in my Mount Rushmore of keyboard players for me. Very cool. Booker T and... Um, ben Montinch. Yeah. Um, there's a few others, but anyway. Um, so we were we were talking about his keyboard parts, and I, actually, before I drove over here today, I was listening to an interview with him. Um, I'm trying to think who it was that was interviewing him. Um, just just thinking about how much I like him, and just listen. He was on the show called Sound Opinions. Uh huh. And it's a great interview to whoever wants to know more about I'll have to check it out. Ben oh my gosh, it's on YouTube. Okay. It's amazing. Cool. I'll, I'll, check it out. I'll include the link okay. um, t- on this episode in Very case cool. anybody's interested. But, you know, the thing that caught my eye on your, I think you posted on Facebook how much you loved his parts, his keyboard parts, you know? And so that caught, really caught my attention because I do too. So, yeah. how many songs did you have to learn? For that show. Well, the funny thing with that show is, yeah, it's, God, I don't know, it was 25, 26, something like that. That's a lot. It is a lot. And, you know, the thing is, a lot of them were songs that I knew. I mean, they were, you know, Petty had so many hit songs. And, you know, I had the greatest hits and all that. And, you know, the thing with Petty is I was always kind of more of a casual fan of his. I was never, like, an enormous fan. I remember I did go see him in concert at the Wildflowers tour. Yeah. Where it's the only show I ever saw at the old Boston Garden, which to date is the, probably the worst place I've ever seen a concert. Um, anyway, though, in recent years with Petty, I kind of would always associate him with just, you know, really bad bar bands, you know. But to, well, you know, when I was asked to do this, I actually had to, like, really listen. And it's like for the first time I was, like, discovered all this stuff that was there that I never knew. And it's like the stuff was there all along. I just, it's somewhat, you know, buried, and so it's like you had to kind of dig a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what it actually did is it actually got me liking some songs that I never really cared as much about before. Like, for instance, you know, American Girl. Like, I, for years, I never realized, oh, that's a piano that's playing the solo. The, you know, the... Or the... I never knew that was piano. Like, I'd always thought that was guitar, you know? And I was like, oh, I have to actually play that. That's cool. Because always bar bands are doing it, and they don't have a keyboard player. Exactly. There's <laughs> that, too. Yeah. Or the guitar player steals the keyboard player. Exactly, because yes. he's got to show off, you know? <laughs> and it was like actually listening to this stuff correctly. Like, you know, that's the thing. A lot of bar bands will play Don't Back Down or Free Fallen on an organ. I'm like, no, that's a pad. Mm-hmm. There's no organ on that song, you know? Right. Um... But then listening to parts like, you know, like Refugee, which is a song I never really liked, but now I like, you know, or Stop Dragging My Heart. There are a lot of them like that. You know, it's like... Yes. 
listening to a song like uh, I Need to Know, which is kind of almost a punk song in a way. Yeah. But there's piano all over it, and it's rocking, you know? Yeah. And hearing stuff like that, um, I never realized, like, the B3 on, or not the B3, but the Rhodes on You Don't Know How It Feels, which is one of my least favorite songs of his. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there, there are a few like that. It's like they were there. And then, you know, learning some of the other ones, too, and just realizing how broad his palette was and mm-hmm. all the different sounds he used. And it's like, you know, for years, the one I liked was You Got Lucky, and probably because of all that 80 synth in there, you know? Yes. The um, Young and the Restless kind of... Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't that know same what he gets in, but... It's got yeah, that, that flashy type. thing. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, you listen to... You know, it's like the same synth you hear, and it's, it's very 80s, and it's, of yeah. course, dated. But, you know, I just love that sound. That's like a, you know... Yeah. Sound of a generation for me, you know? Yeah. Or, um, but then it's like, you know, realizing just some other songs, like, you know, The Waiting is one of my favorite songs of his now. Yeah. Maybe my favorite. It's hard to play well. Yeah. We do that in, our, in my band. Well, and you realize, too, how hard his music is to play well, and that's why so many bands butcher his music. They play <laughs> too fast. It's so part-oriented, they don't play the parts, and they don't put the parts... More importantly, they don't put the parts together. Yeah. It's like an intricate jigsaw puzzle, and they don't put the parts together. And I think a lot of people think, like, oh, I can do petty. It's rootsy, you know? Three chords. And it's, first of all, way more than three chords. And it's rootsy, but it's very intricate, you know? Yes. And it's a lot more intricate than people realize. Exactly. I totally agree with you. He was... uh, One of the stories he tells on that interview... He was saying this producer that he was working with said, um, whenever I work with Benmont, and it was some someone else too, I can't remember who he said, but all I have to do is just turn him up. I don't know, you know, I don't have to worry about balance. Yeah. Uh, dynamic issues, just the only thing is just turn them up louder. Yeah. <laughs> and it all takes care of itself. Yeah. Basically. He just knows how to fit in with a band. He so really does. He really does, yep. And he just, you know, he's one of those guys that just always plays the perfect part, you know? Yeah, it's not And I think he's so intricate, you know, what he comes up with. You know, I mean, obviously, Petty, you've got the hat and the kind of... I think a lot of people also like Petty because he sings about weed and he's about weed and all that, you know? <laughs> right. And there's still that kind of rebellious nature of, you know, weed is cool because it's taboo. But he also Mike Campbell and his guitar tone and all that, but, oh, you know. Absolutely. I think I saw Tom, Tom Petty maybe three times live, I okay. think. And that's pretty rare for me. Yeah. I don't usually, I'm not a repeat. Um, I don't know how to put it. Exactly. Well, it's, you know, I heard he was, I heard the last tour was great, but God, it's just, the tour killed him, literally. Yeah. Literally killed him. This is so hard. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this band certainly, you know, to quote Petty got lucky. And the fact that, you know, Petty died, they put this band together and were up and going when Petty died. And so, of course, now there's a demand for it because, right. you know. And interestingly enough, they, you know, Petty's one of these artists, too, that just everybody loves. He has about six, seven songs that are standards, which are kind of almost rare for yeah. to have that many songs that are like just standard, standard songs, you know? Exactly. Good for keyboard players, too, because yeah. we're needed. Well, well, if you're playing it correctly, you're needed. The thing is, a lot of the people don't think about playing it correctly. That's the thing. <laughs> right? You it's, know? It requires a little bit of work. Exactly. And it's like, and it depends on songs. I mean, believe me, I hear plenty of bands do breakdown on no keyboards and no, it doesn't sound good at all, but, you know. There's that, um, or, um, let's see what key, I don't know what key it's in, but this, dun, 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 that part. Yeah. 
Of course. It's got to be there. Yeah, of course it has to be there. But, you know, they <laughs> play it on guitar. <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing, too, is now everybody wants to be a rock band. You know, Even country artists want to be rock bands, you know. Mm-hmm. Interesting, huh? Yeah. It's like they, they want to be country, but they want to be rock bands. They, you know. And I think by rock, usually it's more southern rock and maybe ACDC or something like that. <laughs> right. You know? I don't know. Right. Or Journey. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so... You said you had a Nord Electro 3 that you were carrying, you know, light. What's your 88 key? Choice? I've got a Yamaha S90 ES. I've had that one for almost 10 years now. And Me that's too. just a solid, solid board. I totally Good agree. piano sound. Just good sounds all around, you know. It's yeah. just, it's a go-to. And it's like, it's, you know, you have to learn how to, you know, the menus to, it's, a, it's too many steps to layer and to split and all that. You know, the great thing about the Nord is like, yeah, there are no menus. Everything's right there. You hit a button, the was yeah. on, you hit a button the reverbs on that type of thing whereas with the yes. the uh, ADA key the Yamaha you gotta hit like you know <laughs> enter search exit that type of thing and then there's the menu and you can get your adjust your parameters and all that you right know? so it's like you know layering and you know you can really layer I think like four sounds at a time or something mm-hmm. like that but still you can create some cool stuff that way you know yes or to do your portamentos and to do all that or to change your you know, monos and the polys for your lead sense and that sort of thing if you want that. You know what I mean? Right. So. I keep mine parked at my house gig. And uh, it's just. And where's your house gig? It's in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Okay. What venue? Uh, the, the, the Crossroads Bar and Grill. I right, haven't played there. Uh, there's a place called 435, something like that. I've played occasionally and I've played Tidballs before, which I think is still in business. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it is. Yeah. I know the club that you're talking about, but I can't think whether... 435? Yeah, it's right by the baseball stadium. It's like a new apartment complex garage thing that's got a bunch of... It's, you know, your typical yuppie city thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Very typical yuppie city thing. Sports bar type thing. I think we talked about that, too. You were playing the gig with the um, the live band karaoke group. Yeah. With Dick You've done that gig, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've subbed with them. That's another interesting gig. Yeah, it's a it's a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean, it's um, cool, but it's one where you got to be a little on your toes, you know, because you don't know what's going to get called out. Exactly, exactly. Um, just rapid fire music. Exactly. But they've got good charts. They're they're so uh, yeah. organized with the iPad. No, they're very organized with that. The charts, they're yes, you know, they're a couple that are occasionally wrong, but you know, they're largely good. Yeah. Yeah. So you you just get around to you just doing all kinds. That's of stuff. you know that's the thing. It's like I just you know I mean there's a part still kind of want that like one gig that's like my gig that I'm doing all the time. I've kind of been searching for that for a while, and it's but you know I also on the other side of things, it's when you just do a bunch of different things. It's cool. It keeps things fresh. You play with different players. You play different music. You got you know. Mm-hmm. So there's something to be said for that. And you know one thing with the tribute shows, it's like. I love doing the tribute shows, but I have no desire to put together a tribute band. It's like I want to do the shows, play them once, and then move on to something else, you know? Well, you know, you seem to handle having to learn a large amount of material. I don't know. You handle it like you don't seem anxious. Are you Are you anxious ever? I get that way. No, I can. I just don't like. I've never seen it. you. Look I don't show way. it publicly, but believe me, I can get very anxious. And yeah, part of my problem is I'm a, I can be a major procrastinator and wait too long for things, and then it's like, oh god, and so I end up doing everything last minute. You know. How do you keep it all in your head? Like, um, it's it's 
somewhat visualizing things. I mean, if it's stuff I know, then I've got it down, but a lot of it is visualization or it's like, okay, this song has this patch or this song has this part or it's like, you know, arpeggio in the second verse or things of that ilk, you know? You just, I kind of like will associate something with a something, you know? Gotcha. So you're um, you're making a road map... It's you're, kind of a visual map in a way, a like a mail map, road map, you know. Gotcha. And so as you're playing, you're thinking, okay, yeah. arpeggiate. Or, or it's like, you know, hyper-focus on this, you know, that type of thing. Hyper-focus. Like, yeah, it's like, okay, make sure you get this lick and this part, you know, that's important. It's like everything else. Gotcha. And, you know, here's the thing. As a keyboard player, for basic songs, we can cheat. Any other instrument can't, but we can cheat. Basically, what I mean by that is, say you play a song it's called, you've never played it before, say it's like not that many chords, there's no signature keyboard part, it's just fills, pads, that type of thing. You can hear what the root note is and the chord is, and then play the upbeat, the second beat, and have it there. So it's like you're able to have that split second to listen to what it is before having to execute it. Why do you think that is? It's just the way music is, too. So you're saying it fits. It fits. It won't stand out as um, Yeah, you're not, you know, exactly. And, you know, here's the thing, too, with, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize playing piano is we're basically a percussion instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a melodic percussion instrument. A lot of times, especially when you're comping and playing rhythmic stuff, you know, you're playing to the drummer and bass player. Gotcha. You're playing to the percussion player, you know. Right. Right. You you know, and, and it's also important to listen to what the guitar player is doing and then kind of play around him versus True. her, her versus, you know, in spots it's cool to play the same thing, but, you know. True. What you're doing is you're doing, and, you know, that's the thing is people react to rhythm much more than anything else. That's what makes people dance. That's what makes other musicians yeah. want to jump in and jam with you, you know. Yeah. They don't want to just you know, listen to somebody play scales and arpeggios all day. That's not going to attract people, you know? <laughs> right. You know? But if you're going to play like a ballad, of course you're going to have to Well, play yeah, I mean, that's where you know you've broken well. chords and that sort of thing. Exa- yeah. Exactly, you know? And Do you that, think in your head, A flat minor 7? Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Or you just feel it out, you know? So your hands go to the shape. Yeah. Would you say... Um, so when I'm working with my piano students, I have about 30 students. I don't know if you know that about me, but... Um, some of them are, re- are very visual, like what you're describing, and the, and some are just like ear players. Yes, and then some are just like their bodies are very um, natural, pianistic. Right. Um, you know, I don't know how to put it exactly. Just um, they they really have a natural approach to the instrument, and um, so that's something that you can teach, but it's harder to. You have to right. like teach choreography or something. Yeah, it's physical motion. Yeah. Which one would you say you're strongest at? Well, honestly, my big, I've always said that my biggest weapon is my ear. I've always been that way. My biggest weapon is definitely my ear, just the way I'm able to absorb music and listen, you know. And it's like stuff that hits me and all that. It's usually in, you know, for me, the best way to learn music is just to listen to it over and over again and just kind of absorb it eternally, you know. Okay. And then it's like, you know, the thing is it becomes a part of you. So then when you actually sit down and play it, 90% of it, it's already there. It's in you. So it's you kind of know what to do in a way, you know? Got you. So you're kind of singing along with the parts? Yeah. You're hearing where they're going and you're moving with them. Exactly. In your you're, mind. In your mind, you're kind of absorbing them. I mean, okay. you know, reading is a different animal, but you just, you know, when you just read down something, I don't feel like you don't get the true essence. You're just sort of yes. like, you know. Yeah. It's glossing over a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> it's sort of just like the technical information, but you don't get the soul of it, you know? You kind of get the skin. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. 
Um, when you do you practice every day? Uh, no. Okay, so you practice when you have a gig coming up? Yeah, you know, when I have a gig, I have to learn and stuff, or, you know, I'll listen to music every day, though. That's one thing I definitely do. You know, it's you drive in the car a lot, you play music, and, you know, I'll go through these periods where I try. You know, this thing is, in some ways, when you're not as busy, that can be good, because that's when you're, like, really trying to learn new stuff, and you're just, or, like, listen to new stuff and explore and discover, and, you know, whether it's stuff my friends are doing or stuff that um, other bands are doing, you know. Yes. If you just off the top of your head, you know, had to had to tell somebody about an awesome gig you played, what would that? What's an example of? Can you come up with? Oh my like, god! Or are you one of these people that it just the gig that I'm playing right now is the most awesome gig? You know, I know. No, definitely not. <laughs> you know, there are definitely those gigs that feel like work, or you know, I've even once I remember even putting a post once. It was after a gig that was more rougher than usual, where I was like, sometimes the best part of the gig is coming home from the gig. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, every now and then there'll be these things. Like, I actually got this one coming up in uh, the end of September. It's the second year in a row I've done this, but I did it last year where I was in a house band, and it was a uh, benefit put on by uh, Kimberly Paisley, Brad's wife. Mm-hmm. And it was backing up a lot of kind of A-list country stuff, including Brad Paisley. Darius Rucker, Chris Young, Chase Bryant, Lindsay L. There were people of that ilk that were, and you know, you're just these big artists. And it's like, you know, at one point I'm thinking, like, God, I'm playing Purple Ring with the guy from Hootie and the Blowfish. You know, there was a certain surrealness there, you know? Yeah. Um, but as far as particular gigs that are just like, I mean, you know, a lot of the tribute stuff is great because, and it's like, um, you know, what I want to feel on that, or the best thing I can feel is, I can't believe I'm getting to play this song right now. That's yeah. what I want, you know. That's great. That's when you play a song you've always wanted to play and finally are playing, like, oh my God, I'm playing this song with a band. And, you know, there's so many artists I'll tribute, and I realize, like, oh my God, I've played every single one of these songs for the first time. I've never done this. Um, two last year in particular, I did. I did uh, Janet Jackson, I did Madonna, and I realized... Every single one of these songs I'm playing for the very first time. I've never played with a band before. Yeah. And it's like, these songs don't come across. And these were smash hit singles, but yet bands don't play them. Right. Um, you know, as far as gigs, like, I'm trying to think of, like, say, biggish-ish gigs. Um, I played with Josh Grayson, and there have been those occasional shows where you play to a large audience, and I'm like, wow, this is cool, you know? Or... Do you, you like those? I, oh, of course I do. Who doesn't like those? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, but the, so the sound was incredible. and Well, just getting to play for a large crowd that's, you know, putting all their attention on you. You know, anytime right. you play with an artist like that, that's a nameish artist and people are there. Or it's like a festival, that type of thing, you right. know. Right. Probably get a VIP treatment. Like yeah, that. you get that too. I mean, you okay. get a lot of... You know, that's a thing. You definitely get a lot of perks right. playing music that you wouldn't get otherwise. Right. I know Tyson uh, Leslie does a lot of these um, rep metal tribute shows. Yeah, over to Rare Hairs. Rare yeah, Hair, yeah. Participate in all of them. What um, What have been some of the highlights, of some of the tunes you've really loved playing on those? Oh, God. How, you know, Valley of the Kings by Blue Murder, which is a song I never thought I could. Yeah, he's come across with songs I never in a million years thought I'd ever get to play. I mean, it was like, God, there was like Valley of the Kings by Blue Murder, uh, Headless Cross by Black Sabbath, which is a song that, you know, I loved that nobody else did that I didn't think anybody else liked or knew. And then it appears, and I'm, pl- I was like, wow, 
I'm playing this, you know. <laughs> Yngwie Malmsteen. Uh, I remember the first one I ever played was Summertime Girls by Y&T, which is one of those, it's probably my favorite summer song of all time, but it's one that just like only the connoisseurs know, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because metal was music I truly, truly loved. And I remember in the, like, you know, early 90s, grunge got big and all of a sudden not only was metal not cool but it was one of those things where it's like metal stupid and you need to stop listening to your metal albums and then all the metal bands I love started to make grunge albums and they were awful and it's <laughs> you know everything I loved about them wasn't there anymore you know that Aww. big gated snare and the you know all the melody and it's like they all wanted to be like bluesier and edgier and all that and I realized like that's not necessarily, even though it's funny, it's like that's not necessarily what I liked about these bands. You know, I like the big epicness, you know. But the good thing is because they started making bad music, that's what kind of got me listening to other music too, you know, and it was able to let me grow and mature as a musician. Gotcha. And that's when I started listening to jazz and started getting into, like, say, Billy Joel and got into Sting and the Police and mm-hmm. stuff like that and realized that, you know, hey, this is all great music too, you know. Right. Wow. You know. Yeah. Uh, but I love that you said, you know, that um, a, high, a, a high point would be getting to play something you've never played before yeah. and loving that song. Exactly. And, and maybe sometimes with the people, too. Because that's why you started playing, too. It's about the yes. love of what you, you know, yes. it's about the love. I mean, yes, there's something great if you get to play with a superstar and get to play in a stadium and tons of people, you know. It's, you know, of course, you also got to realize they're there. You're part. You're just part of something there. You know, you're not there to be see you in particular. It's to see the artist. You're just there to support. You know. Yeah. But still, it's like you get that rush and feeling of playing for lots of people and feeling like, you know, Absolutely. a rock star per se. You know. Absolutely. And granted, there's a little bit of an ego there. You know, but still. <laughs> right. It is a kick. Yeah. Um, or anytime you get to go on like an adventure, you know. Yes. Yes. It's like you get to go on these little adventures. True. Music is totally that way. (laughs) Yeah. Both physically and everything, you know? Yes. I mean, it's the weirdest profession where it's like, you know, you'll meet four strangers in a parking lot and then live with them for a weekend, you know, or a week or whatever. It's like, you know, can you imagine any other profession like that where it's like, hi, nice to meet you, you know, and your roommates and your, you know. Right. Traveling together. It's like lots of blind dates, you know. (laughs) Now, I've been very lucky. I would say 99.9% of the people I get along with, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And most musicians are believe it or not, great people. And, yes. you know, they've been those couple bad apples here and there. Or, you know, you'll occasionally get that one that shows their bad side here and there. But there have been very few where it's like, I yeah. never want to see this person again. Right. Know, right. Very few. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you would like to do that you haven't done yet? I mean, I still would love to play with a superstar. You know, like, tour with a superstar. That's something... I don't know if that's in the cards for me not or not at my age and all that. That's the thing with music and the kind of visualization and just also practical purposes. I mean, you know, I have kids. Like, I don't want to be on a tour that's, you know, over a month straight yeah. away from home. It's just, right. I did that twice in my kid's lifetime and it was just a, you know, I was on a five-week tour when my daughter was, I don't know my kids. This was four years ago. So they were six and four or three. But it was a grind, and it was too long. Yeah. And I'm like, so, you know. But I'd like to do that. Um, I'm definitely, you know, 
record more. Mm-hmm. Oh, at home or in other studios? And anywhere, so everywhere. You have a studio. I have like a you know little project studio type thing and you know, okay. Pro Tools set up that sort of thing. Gotcha. And you know I can you know fly sessions and that sort of thing too. Okay, I figured you, know. you probably did. Yeah, I do that every now and then. Um, you like? Do you prefer live to recording, or do you like them both for different? They're different things for different reasons. You know, it's like recording to me is always is kind of like putting a puzzle together, and it's you know mm-hmm. building something, creating something. Whereas live, it's just it's execution, right? You know, right. But there's still something to be said about doing a good job or playing something that hits you, where it's like, hey, I nailed it. You know, there's something about a hard piece of music, and you play it, and it just sounds good. You know, it's like safe. You know. <laughs> Yes, I've lived to see another day in this profession. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, there's also just something about being, playing with just incredible musicians, too. When you get, mm-hmm. I'm lucky to get on a gig with certain people, you're like, you know, yes. I mean, th- that's the other great thing about putting these tributes together and being in charge of a gig is I can hire whoever I want and I can go after the players that I've always wanted to play with and occasionally get them, you know. Um the last tribute I did was Van Halen, and it was the Sammy Hagar year only, which is, and that's one where it's like, okay, I can put my personal spin. First off, I'm only going to do Hagar, which is a very maligned era among, like, the Van Halen diehards. Right. A lot right. of them are pro-Dave, you know. Um, I got Phil Schaus and Jeremy Asbrock from the uh, Rock and Roll Residency and Ace Fraley's band to play guitar. I'd always wanted to play with them. Finally got them. They were free, and it was music that they were great at. Mm-hmm. Plus, for the singers, I wanted one thing I always loved doing is pulling people from different scenes and genres that wouldn't necessarily be part of it and have them on it. And so it's like, you know, I got this incredible R&B singer, Monty Wilkins, who I'd wanted to work with for a while. Um, I pulled a girl off the General Jackson that sings country all day, you know. I mean, I had I had some rock singers because you got to make it somewhat authentic, but you also want to pull people on from other scenes. Um, That's really cool. You know, I for the Sade tribute coming up, I, you know, I mean, it's going to be largely R&B and jazz singers, but there'll be a couple country singers and even a hardcore rocker chick I got on there who you would never expect to see on something like this. Yes. So it's like, you know, I had this little like musical deviancy in me that wants to <laughs> pull different people from different places and put them together and see what happens, you know. I think that's really cool. You know, I don't think it happens enough personally, you know, it's like I tend to go to certain shows and see the same people in the yeah. same scene and, you know. Right. Right. I like mixing things up. I mean, you know, some yeah. of the things we do together you know, you end up seeing the same people over and over again, you know, that mm-hmm. just, you know, that just is, you know. Right. Right. So, um, it's a, it's a, it's a small town, yeah. <laughs> but with a lot of great musicians. Oh, it's more than anywhere else in the world. I think the circle, maybe so. Right? Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, there's so many circles and they, they're definitely intertwined and you yes. know, it's nice to see the, the different circles. When come they do together. come together, it's yeah. great. It's wonderful. It you really know? is. That's when you really know you have a community and you have Music City, you know. Well, before we started talking, I totally agree with you. Um, you gave me a clip of, I think you're working with a singer in this clip. In the clip, yes. Um, and so I'll, I'll make sure this is posted. I'll try to um, attach it to the end of this mm-hmm. interview. I think I, think I can. Um, so describe what it's going to be about. Well, one of the things I'm starting, I've kind of slowed up a little bit, but I need to get going. So I've decided to do like just a little YouTube thing where I'm going to take, you know, I've told you about my love for heavy metal music. 
I'm going to take a lot of my favorite metal songs as a kid, but like some of the more obscure ones, not the ones that everybody knows, kind of strip them down a bit and get some singers and maybe even some instrumentalists to join me on, you know, who have nothing really to do with metal, who don't know the stuff at all, and put them on there. So this first clip I gave you, it's a... Um, it's an Ace Fraley song. He had a band in the 80s called Fraley's Comet, which was his solo band. It was largely rock, but like everybody else back then, he, there was a power ballad on there to, you know, the intentions. You put a ballad on to get on the radio and have a hit single. Yeah. Now, this one didn't get on the radio or have a hit single, but I've always loved the song. So I kind of stripped it down, did a version. I got a singer to sing on it, a wonderful singer named Sharon Cho, who unfortunately moved away. So... Aww. Shortly after she recorded that, so um, yeah, her job uh, made her move, uh, had her moved to Chicago or somewhere. Okay, I think it was Chicago. Anyway, but she's a largely jazz and R and B singer, and okay. is not in any way, shape, or form a rock singer. So let's get her to do it. How awesome is this? Yeah, and have her make it her own. Thing. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's you know. Yeah. It'd be too easy to get somebody who grew up with this stuff. I'd rather get somebody who doesn't know it. Now, the thing is, if they don't know it, they can really make it their own because they have no preconceived notions of what it should be. Yeah. So they're going to sound like themselves, mm -hmm. and it's great singers, you know. What are you going to call this project? I love this idea. I don't know what I'm going to call this it. This is I'm gonna, great. Yeah, I'm going to put it on YouTube or so. I have no idea what I'm going to call it, but, you know, I'm just going to largely call up, you know, it's probably going to be largely pop R&B singers on this stuff, too, you know. I don't want rockers, you know. This is a great idea. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is music probably that I wouldn't know. You probably know? not. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, I don't know. Probably, um, I don't know, um, intimidated by some of the metal artists yeah, well, <laughs> at, that, at that point in my life. Yeah. Um, I just finished playing the Industrial Night show that was over at um, XN. Yeah. Oh, it was so fun. Oh, was it? Oh, cool. I actually had gotten asked to do it, but it was my birthday that day, and I knew I was doing something with my wife, so I would have said yes otherwise, just because, you know, it's, so many people have done my shows, but, you know, the, the, my tributes are all charity, so right. I'm always willing to, if somebody wants me on a show, I'm willing to do it for a couple songs. That I think happens. he's going to have, like, a volume, too, so you have to do... Yeah. I, I played a couple of Gary Newman songs, okay. which were, you know, very accessible for me to do, but... I wouldn't um, consider Gary, I wonder how that, he's not exactly industrial. But yeah, you know, he was well. He was on a concert with Nine Inch Nails. Okay. And like, um, the, who's the guy? Who's Nine Inch Nails? Oh, Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor, yes. Yeah. So he's like, he loves Gary Newman. Yeah. And says, you know, he's heavily influenced by Gary Newman. You're right. So I think that's how that came about. Okay. But but anyway, um, I loved the show. Oh, cool. I absolutely loved it. I listened, sat in the back, and just listened to everybody. Oh, cool. And you know, was exposed to some stuff I never would have heard before. Oh, sure. Um, and so I love your idea. It's a great idea. Yeah. And I will, you know, if you come up with, like, if you want to promote it, like, we can um, post a link to your YouTube channel or whatever. I don't really have one yet. You've got to get this thing going. i got to get it going, exactly. <laughs> well, I've just been, this the thing is, the summer kind of got away from me. I've been so busy doing other stuff that it's you. like, you know. I hear you. It's like the calendar filled up so heavy. But, you know, I'm about to, well, I say I'm about to have some downtime. I might, I may not. You never know with that. I, I hear you. You know, that's the thing is, you think you're about to have downtime, then all of a sudden, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? You know, yeah. it's just... And that's what happened to me this summer. It's funny. I came into the end of May with, like, nothing. And I was, like, almost nervous. And then, like, a week later, all of a sudden, it's like June was just completely booked, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then July got booked. And, you know, so it's... Which is great. I'm not complaining about it, you know? Sure. Sure. 
Well, um, is there anything else that we haven't covered? I mean, how can people reach you? Let's say they, you know, they want to hire you. How can they find you? Go on my Facebook page, go on my Instagram, call me. <laughs> Get my number from people they know, you know. <laughs> I do need, a, you know, I've definitely thought of a website at some point. Uh, you know, it's it's more about getting a focus and all that. And now the YouTube page is going to happen. And yeah. I think that can, you know, help some things too. I, I definitely love that idea. Yeah. I would, um, I'd love to be introduced to those songs in that way. Yeah. In other words, you would make me curious. You would make me, if, if you, if that... If you do this, I'm going to listen to those songs and be like, I want to hear the original now. Exactly. You know, and then you'll be surprised. Like, oh, God. Yes. You know, there's one I'd love to play you that I did, which I liked, but the singer didn't like the version. And then, um, so she asked me to take it down when I posted it, which, of course, I did. But, um, (laughs) you know, I'm hoping we get a chance to redo it sometime because we did another version that kind of got cut off a little bit. But just, you know. Basically, you know, and it's funny for me because I'll write lead sheets to this stuff, and it's just funny seeing like a jazz lead sheet to some of these songs. I'm like, these songs were not meant to have jazz lead sheets, and it's like I feel like I'm like disturbing the universe by doing this, you know? I love it. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I but really you know, that's you know, it's you learn the rules and then break them. That's what artistry is, isn't it? Ah, uh, yes. And it's like you know, like doing it. stuff that doesn't belong, you know, that's how I kind of look at that sort of thing, you know. One thing I always wanted as a kid is I wanted to see, like, the R&B scene and metal scene came to come together. It never did. Ever. They all kept in their different circles, you know. Which two singers would you want? Um, like, do you ever see the mashups? That oh, I love those mashups. They're, they're the best. Aren't they incredible? They're the best. That DJ Cumberbund, he's amazing <laughs> what he comes up with. Oh, my God. The one that got me going the most recently was the Slayer and Katrina and the Waves. That was incredible. I don't know if I've seen that. Oh, that was amazing. But, you know, like the Earth, Wind & Fire Ozzy one was great. Yes. Um, there was one that was uh, Marvin Gaye and Rat. Heard it through the grapevine and round and round. That, that is, was awesome. Isn't that great? Yeah. There's one I saw yesterday, C.C. Pennington doing Finally with some hard rock. Yeah. Oh, song. i got to check that out. Um, I wish I could think of the name of the song. But those, I mean, those things are the best. They are great. Um, I love the, one of my favorite all-time ones was uh, Ghostbusters and Thunderstruck. <laughs> they called it Thunderbusters. <laughs> so it was great. perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> yes. I mean, in a way, you kind of strike me as you're sort of doing the same thing. To a point, yeah. <laughs> to a point, you know. Well, um, I will do my very best to attach this um, clip that you sent me. Cool. To the end of this interview, so yeah. people can kind of hear what, what you're going for. Absolutely, and uh, we'll we'll do our best to um, keep people posted on your, this YouTube channel. When you get it set up, I'll um, advertise it on the podcast. Oh, I appreciate uh, that, Amy. Page. Absolutely, thank you. And, yeah, because I think it's really cool. Yeah, and uh, we'll just have to stay in touch with. Um, Absolutely, you know, yeah, if there's ever a part two, <laughs> a couple years from now or whatever. <laughs> well, I guess we'll draw to a close here. Uh, you've probably got other things you really need to go do and. Uh, it's it's um I don't know maybe thirty thirty songs to learn for next weekend or something. Who knows? You never know what's coming up. Actually, I think I get a little bit of a break next weekend. So excellent. Enjoy it. But I've still got to prep for the Sade show on Wednesday, so that'll there be the bit, that's the big thing I got to do now. That's so. right. Okay. Well, good luck with that. Thank you. And thanks so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And, um, um, talk again sometime soon. Hopefully. We'll do. Absolutely. We'll take care. Yeah.